Hey, Digitally China is produced together with our friends at Radii, this awesome independent media platform. If you're interested in culture and innovation in China, you should definitely check out RadiiChina.com. They'll give you an inside look into everything from China's underground music scene to bike sharing. That's RadiiChina.com. The reality is, is that brands are really, really taking a wrong approach to dealing with modern-day Chinese customers, and it's one of the reasons why brands have become beholden to KOLs. Is because they've dropped the ball in this age of social, and now kids on the internet drive more traffic than they can themselves. This is Elijah Whaley, the chief marketing officer of Park Lu, a marketing tech firm in China that focuses on influencers. Or KOLs, which stands for key opinion leaders, they're a key part of social commerce, where promotions and sales are done via social networks or social media. It's an increasingly important part of China's lucrative e-commerce industry, where buying products online is already very much integrated with social. In this episode, we're going to talk about one of China's fastest-growing social commerce apps, called Xiao Hongshu, which literally translates to "little red book," but they go by "red" in English. We'll walk through some of the challenges they're facing in trying to monetize this community and the role that China's multi-billion-dollar influencer or KOL industry plays. We've been talking about social e-commerce ever since Pinterest got big in the West many, many years ago. But it's only in China that actually happened for real, both thanks to a more social online audience, but also thanks to a tight connection between content and e-commerce. Welcome to Digitally China. A podcast about the fascinating Chinese, Chinese tech, tech industry. industry created together with Radii. I'm Eva. I'm Jacob, and I'm Tom. So, according to various studies, China's gaming industry is now, in fact, the largest in the world. You may know their messaging app called WeChat. Chinese outbound M&A. Chinese corporates are buying international uh, companies at record pace. The hottest phone you've probably never heard of. China's Xiaomi. Yes, it's state. It's claim to Apple's crown. Major deal over in China. You have Chinese tech giant Tencent leading an 8.6 billion dollar acquisition to buy a major stake in Supercell. 14.3 billion dollars in sales bought by a Chinese e-commerce site in one wild day. So. I'm actually not a heavy Xiao Hongshu user, and you know I'd always known about it, but I never really got into it because I assumed it had to do with shopping. I'm not really someone who browses e-commerce sites a lot, but now that I've looked at it more, you know, in part because of this podcast episode, I actually really like it because it reminds me of Instagram, and I think anyone who knows me personally knows that I love Instagram and I'm I use it every day. So there's stories. So by stories, I mean these short disappearing videos on Xiao Hongshu as well. Now, a lot of the photos look more curated and, let's say, polished compared to more casual social networking sites. And I can see why people use it to find new fashion. You always see way more attractive and stylish people on Xiao Hongshu. I'm really surprised. Like everyone looks great on the platform. I don't know what filters they're using, 
But I think I can see why people or brands would be interested in being featured there or even browsing the site to see like what young female consumers in China are, like what their taste is and what they're looking for. Yeah, I think especially within the categories of fashion or cosmetics or more visually compelling consumer products, Xiaohongshu is really good. I mean, you can just go in there and search for any brand, let's say Uniqlo or Zara, you know, and you'll see so many different photos user-generated of different outfits using whatever brand you search for, which is a great source of inspiration and education if you're into buying a new outfit or want to upgrade your look. I mean, I think there's also a lot of stuff on there now that's not directly tied to buying stuff or even fashion per se. Like I think, and I don't know if this is just because of the people I follow, but I've come across a lot of other random videos like, I don't know, a whole group of Xiaohongshu accounts that just post videos that teach you how to take photos so that your legs look long and that you look tall and how to make yourself look attractive. There's this one post on like, okay, like how do you take photos in a swimsuit if you don't have a nice body? And then it showed someone like, you know, leaning against the side of the pool, inside the pool. So all you can see is like their arms sort of and their head. I mean, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. But there's so many videos just on how to make yourself look good in photos. And that's obviously not related to fashion. So I, I think it's, you know, it's obviously a bit broader than, than just like, oh, look at the clothes I'm wearing or this is a review of this restaurant, that kind of thing. Yeah, actually, the core of Xiaohongshu is what makes it really unique compared to Western social media. So it is those notes or those articles that are really long format and they're usually very educational, i.e. it could be a user, you know, writing a really long article about how to mix the best colors in your outfit or how to choose different types of makeup or, or how to take care of your skin in a specific way, stuff like that. Yeah, so it actually makes a lot of sense because when Xiaohongshu started in 2013, it was actually more of a shopping info app, more than, let's say, a social network or a social commerce app. And specifically, the app was targeting mainland Chinese consumers who were traveling to or lived in Hong Kong at the time. And the two co-founders, Miranda Chu and Charwen Mao, they quickly realized that a lot of mainland Chinese consumers have a lot of questions when it comes to buying overseas products. So if you're traveling to Hong Kong, it's very natural to wonder, oh, what kind of handbag should I buy? Or how do I get a tax refund? Or what kind of skin moisturizer is worth trying out? These kind of questions. So Xiao Hongshu actually grew out of that user scenario, I guess, and then quickly became an app for window shopping around the world. So different countries, not just Hong Kong, obviously, but it was also targeting people who weren't necessarily traveling. So people who are just shopping online for imported or foreign goods or people who were tapping into China's diet-go market, which is when people buy stuff for you overseas. So they basically started as a shopping guide for Chinese users to get products from abroad. And then through that, and through that shared interest of those users around fashion, a lot of lifestyle products, they become more of a social media, social network, where people share interesting information to each other, both regarding how to buy things, but also how to use them. And now we're seeing the next step of it, which is that they've become a super big channel where people share a lot of stuff and now also actually buy directly from Xiaohongshu. Yeah, definitely. And just one thing that I wanted to add quickly is um, I mentioned how earlier there are a lot of videos and photos that don't have anything to do with fashion. I didn't mention this earlier, but something that's actually a huge part of content on Xiaohongshu 
is food-related content, so not just cooking videos that are beautifully produced, but also recommendations and reviews of restaurants and cafes and things like that. So it's just something to keep in mind that when we think of social commerce and also this very young and female-focused app, a lot of it is related to travel and food as well. So not just cosmetics and fashion, though that's also an important content subcategory. Yeah, so it's like more of a Instagram type of product that people only use to recommend experiences or products to each other. So it feels like a perfect app for a social e-commerce. Yeah, and I think other companies and e-commerce companies have recognized that as well. So last year, Alibaba, the largest e-commerce company in China, they led a Series D round worth three hundred million dollars into Xiaohongshu, which at the time put its value at about three billion dollars, which This is a lot about how people view its e-commerce potential, right? But I think what's surprising to me, at least, is that e-commerce on the platform still hasn't really taken off, especially when you compare it to cheaper and you could say less, well, definitely less bougie platforms like Taobao and Tmall or Pinduoduo, which is famous for its group buying discounts. They have many, many more users, so 300 million monthly active users compared to Xiaohongshu's 85 million. Yeah, the comparison to Pinduoduo is actually very interesting, and and we had a live episode a few months ago where Shen Yi Wu actually joined, and he was the CFO of both Pinduoduo and Xiaohongshu previously, and I think he actually said it most clearly、mm. when he compared these two services, which is that from a Western perspective, when we look at social e-commerce in China, we usually group both Pinduoduo and Xiaohongshu in the same category, but actually they are extremely different and shouldn't be compared at all, because Pinduoduo is actually at its origins just an e-commerce play. They sell very cheap products. And then they've been very good at leveraging the social graphs of, let's say, WeChat and other social media services in order to enable people to buy things together、yeah. and create kind of an experience around that. But Xiaohongshu comes from the other angle, which is that they are actually just a social product. And on top of that type of social graph, they try to build some type of e-commerce business. No, it makes a lot of sense because in Pinduoduo, the social part kicks in. At the end of the funnel, right? Like、yeah. when you're actually buying and you want to drive down the price. That's my understanding.、Yeah. But for Xiaohongshu, or let's say if we think about Instagram or Pinterest or whatever, or you know Facebook or other social platforms, the social part of the e-commerce comes very early. It's about discovering new products, which I think also makes it a bit finicky when you want to track how. Influential or how effective your marketing is, let's say through influencers, which we can talk about later. But yeah, that makes sense. Like, there's a huge difference in when the social aspect actually becomes a part of the buying process for Pinduoduo versus Xiaohongshu. Yeah, and I think that's what makes social e-commerce and Xiaohongshu、yeah. specifically so interesting. The way Shen Yi summarized it was using the terms discovery-based e-commerce and search-based e-commerce, where the old world, the Amazons and Taobao, and actually Pinduoduo as well, are search-based type of experiences where a consumer, for example, thinks about buying, you know, a new pair of jeans and maybe searches for jeans or a specific. Brand and then through that decides what product to buy、mm-hmm. and buys it. While discovery based is much earlier, as you say, you might not even know that you want a pair of new jeans. 
And somehow while browsing the app, you, you get so inspired by someone else having this great outfit and whatnot, and you decide you want a pair of white jeans. I think what's interesting about Xiaohongshu is what you just mentioned is that on Taobao and other e-commerce sites, you search for something that you want, and then you look through the options to see. It's probably ranked by reviews, how many items they've sold, and also probably price as well. So that's kind of how they rank results for you. And it's very search-focused, right, on Taobao, etc., And what you just mentioned is that social is more about, it's a less directed search and discovery process because you're looking at what your friends and the people you follow are posting. But I think what's interesting is that when I spoke to Elijah, he kind of pointed out and emphasized that search is really important for driving traffic on Xiao Hongshu as well. So it's kind of in the middle in that sense because people go on the app to look for very certain product reviews or types of experiences, right? Like, oh, what cafes should I check out in Hangzhou, et cetera? What kind of like travel logistics plan should I set up for my upcoming trip or what clothes should I buy, et cetera? And that's very specific and directed. But once you put that in, the search results are ranked socially as in, as in stuff that has been liked a lot or there's a lot of comments or whatever, those get priority. So I think it's interesting to see Xiaohongshu kind of straddle both of these, both search and social discovery. Yes, and one feature I really love with Xiaohongshu is that imagine you're like seeing a few photos of an outfit, exactly like Instagram, right? Mm. But when you tap into that post and you see the outfits, every single clothing on those photos are actually tagged to the real clothing or like the real product. Yeah. So, so, so for example, let's say you're wearing a T-shirt from Chanel. Yeah? yeah. And then it just says that it is a Chanel T-shirt. And if the brand have e-commerce integration with Xiaohongshu, you can immediately tap and buy. And thanks to that direct integration, it also enables KOLs or influencers to get part of that value creation they are generating. Let's say they are, you know, generating 10 sales of that T-shirt, they might be able to get a kickback from that. Yeah, actually, that kind of brings us back to the opening quote from Elijah, right? And how it's difficult for brands to market themselves to Chinese consumers. And they're at this point where they kind of not outsource, but they kind of rely on these influencers or KOLs to make them not appear super transactional on social media and look trustworthy and desirable. So a common mistake that I see, especially Western brands are doing in China, especially Xiaohongshu, when it comes to KOLs, is that they don't understand that there are a lot of different types of KOLs. You have this organic type of KOLs, i.e. normal people, normal users that are just really happy about your product and shares about mm-hmm. it. And then you have these so-called micro-KOLs, so which are people trying to be influencers. They're uploading quite a lot about, let's say, outfit of the day and stuff like that, but maybe their reach aren't huge or they are very niche. And then, of course, you have, the, you have the thing that most people associate with KOLs, these very famous uh, Wang Hong in Chinese that have millions of followers and are on all channels and are all more or less celebrities in China. And when we look at especially domestic Chinese brands that grew up in this type of environment, you see that they are able to leverage all three categories in a really, really good way. I mean, while the maybe super famous KOL can give you credibility if you're a new brand, because no one ever heard about your brand name before, they maybe cannot drive as much day-to-day sales. They can make people interested for a very short amount of time Mm -hmm. this week. 
about you because you're launching something. But after that, people just forget about you. Well, the micro-KOLs, they're usually closer to the kind of consumers because they have a more personal relationship because the consumers also know they aren't super popular with millions of followers. But there's a reason you follow this micro-KOL and, and get inspired by him or her. And then you can see that a lot of very successful brands are actually using these micro KOLs to like keep on mentioning you. There's a lot of products you see every day and a lot of brands you hear about that you just don't buy every day. Yeah, I think a lot of people also point out the power of these Wang Hong or KOLs in very niche or let's say long tail markets. So obviously the smaller your interest group is, the easier it is to exercise a large amount of influence. So I think the same principle applies with KOLs, right? Like if you have a community or a group of people that really love hoop earrings or let's say Peppa Pig inspired high fashion, then, you know, as a KOL who is good at finding that kind of content or you love it yourself and you're very good at creating content around it, well, then probably everyone who is into Peppa Pig inspired fashion or high fashion will know about you, right? Because there's not so many people posting good content mm -hmm. about it. So I think that's one of the the potential behind KOLs, not necessarily the huge, super famous ones who make like $100,000 for a single promotional post or whatever. So when I've looked into this topic, I've actually seen two very successful ways to leverage KOLs in China. Mm. One is the more below the line way. And I think one of the most famous examples of this is Daniel Wellington or DW, the watch brand that blew up a lot in China okay. and now actually have retail stores in China. And when they entered the Chinese market, they knew they were kind of a affordable watch brand. So instead of like spending big with these super famous KOLs, they literally found thousands or tens of thousands of micro KOLs, everyone with maybe only a few hundred people or a few thousand people wow. in reach. And they asked all these micro KOLs to tell the story about the watch the way they wanted. I think the way the Chinese consumers saw the brand was that suddenly they were seeing a bunch of posting photos of this watch and, you know, and suddenly, oh, maybe I should try it because it's really affordable. So Yeah, I think it's great to look at an example where brands work really well with influencers because they're obviously very powerful in the sense that they manage to straddle, you know, encouraging you to buy stuff, this very commercial end goal with appearing genuine, authentic and trustworthy. They're this kind of go between, right? So I think they're very powerful. But, you know, I think a lot of brands and platforms like e-commerce sites or even Xiaohongshu, they don't always know how best to work with them. And this is actually something that Xiaohongshu has recently struggled with. This is how Elijah put it. They don't want high quality content on the platform. And really what that looks like is they don't want edited videos with high technique of editing. They don't want anything that looks even resembles PGC. They don't want high quality images that have been touched and such. They're actually restricting or when any post that looks high quality comes up, they're actually restricting traffic to it. And what's funny is it's actually the opposite approach of what Douyin used to create dominance in the short video world. I think that Douyin's approach obviously is, is proven to work really well. And so the fact that Xiaohongshu is taking this opposite approach it's really bizarre, and I think that it won't work in the long term. So just to elaborate a little bit on the restrictions that Elijah mentioned, 
he told me that there are official rules saying that to be considered an influencer, you have to have 5,000 followers at minimum, and you can only do a brand collaboration for every fifth post. So you can see how they're really targeting. In their mind, they're trying to hit back at overly commercial stuff. Yeah, I think what we're seeing here is basically two things happening at once. Number one, uh, there are a lot of influencers out there wanting to make money, and the brands paying them don't have a very good understanding of how to leverage these social graphs. I'm mostly talking about the larger brands. So they force these influencers to create this very fake content, and then the consumers or the followers just get tired of it very fast, and they see through it immediately. The second reason, I think, why Xiaohongshu has a kind of registration process and all that is obviously because Xiaohongshu wants to be part of that revenue stream, right? Yeah. As it works today is that a big brand just reaches out to an influencer directly and Xiaohongshu is just there with the app enabling all this growth, but they get no money and the influencer gets all the money. Yeah. But I think the topic about quality is the largest issue and maybe the like first growth phase of this type of influencer-driven sales have matured quite a lot. And now users are used to that type of communication. So now you actually need more truthful type of content in order to be able to help a brand get any type of effect. I mean, that makes sense to me. But I think I also agree with Elijah, which is that users nowadays, I think, are more accustomed to a higher quality of content than maybe in the past. And I wonder if Xiao Hongshu is conflating authenticity with unpolished content. You know, like as someone who looks at a lot of content, let's say just on Instagram, you do really enjoy stuff that's been put together well. Good photos, well thought out posts, reading a post that teaches you something new or gives you a new perspective. And all these things take time. And maybe someone's dedicating their career to putting together these posts or most of their time, right? And it shows in their work, but I, but it doesn't necessarily turn commercial, Right, just because it's high quality. And I think conflating those two and putting out hard rules to try to tackle that might be an issue. So I actually spoke to a KOL. Her name's Huo Tio, and she's a fashion and cosmetics influencer who has roughly a million followers on Weibo, but just 30,000 on Xiaohongshu. And this is how she described her view of Xiaohongshu and why she doesn't put as much effort into growing her presence there compared to Weibo. I feel there's a lot of commercial content on Xiaohongshu. It's easy to come across ads. And maybe it's because I don't understand the rules. But sometimes I see super popular and viral content that isn't top quality. In fact, the content that I consider to be very good and unique is just quietly off to the side. So that's one reason why I rarely operate on Xiaohongshu, relatively speaking. Yeah, so I think in addition to the challenge that Huoqiu just mentioned, which is treading this thin line of trying to sell stuff while not appearing too transactional, right? I think another thing that companies struggle with is in China and globally, social platforms and e-commerce sites suffer from fake accounts and malicious accounts. So there's a lot of people that just try to make money by gaming the system. So maybe they hire tons of ghostwriters, maybe they pay people to like their content, all kinds of stuff. So actually, I think, you know, influencers and social commerce, there's so much potential, but it seems like companies really have to grapple with a ton of issues and challenges to actually make it work. 
Yeah, I think the core problem here are a lot of the brands trying to leverage KOLs and influencers, but they don't really understand the space. They don't understand how this new generation of young people think and, and use social media such as Xiaohongshu. And then they force these influencers to make these non-authentic posts because they need to follow some type of brand guideline or whatnot. And also due to maybe lack of understanding, they don't check the data enough and then fake accounts get away with it. They still get paid. At the same time, as this happens, we are actually seeing a lot of new up-and-coming domestic Chinese brands, usually maybe founded by entrepreneurs that have a deep understanding of whether it is Weibo or Xiaohongshu and how this new generation of consumers think yeah. and want. Yeah, so Eva, you use cosmetics, right? Um, I do, but it's, as your comment, as your question suggests, it's it's more subtle. Yeah, and I think that's a very kind of Western use case. And for example, in that industry, we're seeing a big trend now where younger and younger people, the Xiaohongshu generation, if we want to call them that, are starting to use cosmetics. But their use case are very different. They don't have a job to go to and they don't have business meetings. And maybe they don't look at cosmetics as a subtle thing, the way you look at it. And what they look at it is more tied to their personality and experimentation and the way they test new things and showcase and get feedback for that is literally using social media. So imagine you are like, let's say, Perfect Diary. And instead of creating a very standardized, affordable eyeshadow in a normal color, you do that in a crazy color with glitter. And I mean, L'Oreal would think that would be crazy, right? Because who wants that? Mm. But for this type of consumer, it's exactly what they want because then they can showcase maybe they're trying something new and be first about it. And everyone is going to snap photos and upload on Xiaohongshu about it. And then you just created your marketing effect. And I'm not saying these other brands don't create these so-called kind of products that are supposed to only create PR or, or social media posts. But what we're seeing now is a bunch of companies that are only targeting these people. So basically, they're getting a lot of consumers to consistently buy products from them because it stands out, because it's not the normal, and because it fits social media very, very well. You want to show something extraordinary or special to the people who follow you, whether it's your friends or whatever, or strangers, but you wouldn't taking photos of yourself wearing a normal or very ordinary but tastefully done, makeup is not really something that's good for social these days. But some brands now, they kind of, they create products that people will use just for social media context. That's really fascinating. I mean, it reminds me of, you know, the Ice Cream Museum in San Francisco? Yeah. Sorry, the Museum of Ice Cream is basically a building that's designed with Instagram-friendly exhibits so stuff like falling glitter or balloons or whatever, or a ball pit in a brightly painted room that looks really cool on Instagram. So it's a museum that's designed so that you can take photos there. It's like a photo shoot, basically, with sets that are very unique that you can take photos of and put on Instagram, huh. right? So it's kind of like the cosmetics version. What you're talking about, at least, is a cosmetics version of that. Yeah, exactly. And um I think what this tells is that thanks to these new platforms such as Xiaohongshu, there are a lot of young people growing up now with a totally different behavior and totally different perception of 
what they will upload and what they will use and and how they decide what products they are going to buy. And and the brands that genuinely understand it are the brands being able to leverage it because at the end of the day, it's all just free marketing. So the comparison I want to make is that in the old world, maybe you had a few brands growing up and becoming huge thanks to their, thanks to their CEO knowing PR very well, know how to create make a journalist write about them and all that. Yeah. In the new world, it's about making all these micro KOLs to organically write about you. That's kind of the new PR genius. I do have to say, I never thought I would listen to you explain makeup to me. I'm pretty impressed, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not very good at makeup. So after all of these conversations and hearing you know, what you said about local Chinese cosmetic brands creating experiences and products specifically with Social Mind, for me, the big takeaway is that, you know, KOLs aren't the silver bullet to companies' marketing or sales issues. If you're already a company that's kind of struggling with your identity and reaching out to consumers, a KOL won't necessarily save that. So something else I just want to add before we end this episode is that I think it's important to remember as well that from the influencer side, there's been a lot of hype in the sense that I think there's been a ton of marketing around how easy it is to make money as an influencer, how, you know, oh, like if you're young attractive person or someone who's charismatic, you can just start live streaming or start posting and immediately be able to, not immediately, but let's say quickly be able to make money. And I think, you know, from talking to KOLs, that's definitely not true. It's actually a ton of work. For some influencers, at least, it's not an industry that they feel 100% secure in. So it's just, for me at least, that was pretty important to keep in mind. And this is actually what Huotio said. Everyone says that it's easy to make money as an influencer, how it's so impressive. There's also a lot of voices that hype up this industry online, like how you can make a million yuan in one to two years. There's a lot of content like that. The influencer industry is like a gust of wind. Right now it's pretty good, but it might not be around in the future. And with that, thanks for listening to this episode of Digitally China. We will be back in two weeks. And in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn. 